1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20. Let us hear the word of our God. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's holy eternal word, it endures forever. May he bring his blessing as we give our hearts attention to it this morning. One of the most predominant questions I'm sure all of you as Christians in the realm of witnessing not only to unbelievers but also to perhaps Christians who are in less than conservative settings and less than, shall we say, faithful in their worship and pursuit of God. And that has to deal with this whole issue, is the Bible the word of men or is it the word of God? Most of you have been probably told that you can't trust the Bible because it has been written by men. And that is a common ideology within the world around us. It's very interesting. We bear the name Reformed in our setting as a church. Reformed in theology. Not necessarily Reformed in faith. There's one faith, but... We are reformed in our theology and we look back to Reformation history. And Reformation history had its beginning preeminently in one of the solas. And most of you are probably thinking sola fide, faith alone. But its actual beginnings was with the first sola that we often recite and that is sola scriptura, scripture alone. It had its beginnings there. Perhaps even before Martin Luther came to faith, he did come to that understanding that the Bible was the word of God and that the Bible alone was what was Lord of his conscience. In that famous diet of worms, however you want to say that word, worms or worms, Martin Luther stood on trial, interestingly enough, providentially, Uh, comes at at the same time uh, a new king over England and the Commonwealth, 
uh, was uh, anointed and uh, formally installed yesterday. But Martin Luther stood before the Holy Roman Emperor, King Charles V. And he, he was charged uh, and on trial for challenging the doctrines of the then state church. We now call it the Roman Catholic Church. And the doctrines that he challenged were the doctrines of penance and purgatory, indulgences, the mass, the papacy. And, and because of that, he was called to recant and was called to submit very specifically to church tradition and authority. This was his testimony. That unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict each other, I am bound to the Scriptures and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand May God help me. Amen. Now that is a statement of faith. Let me put it that way. But I wonder if that statement and testimony for believers today has eroded and perhaps even been lost by many. Is the Bible the word of men or the word of God? How you answer that will determine what is the foundation for your knowledge of God, foundation for your faith and the gospel, foundation for who you are as a Christian. That's the serious nature of how you answer that question. Is the Bible the word of men or the word of God? Interestingly enough, even within the Reformation times when Confessions of faith were being developed by various men and denominations. From the Belgic Confession, the first, to the Westminster Confession of Faith, the last of that season of the Reformation. Every one of those confessions of faith, and what a confession of faith is, it is a, a statement of what we believe Scripture teaches concerning God. And you have ours at the back of the hymn book. But every one of them begin not with the doctrine of God, but with what? The doctrine of Scripture. Why? Because they all realize that there of necessity has to be a foundation of truth from which we draw upon in order to know God in order to know Christ and his gospel, and in order to know how we are called to faith, to walk uh, of life, to uh, a life as a Christian. And that is why even, for those of you who are in membership classes, and those of you who have been, and those of you who I hope, Lord willing, will be in the next few months, that to be a member of hope, one of the vows that you must affirm is that you accept that the Bible is the written word of God. The Old and New Testaments are the only perfect rule of faith and life. Sola Scriptura. 
And we account that as a matter of true and sincere faith. To deny that is to deny God. And that's the serious, again, the serious nature of understanding Scripture. Answering that question. Is the Bible the word of men or the word of God? Now, having said all of that, I want you to understand we do not worship the Bible. (laughs) We worship the God of the Bible. You know, in some cultures, to treat a book with shame or to inadvertently treat it with shame is uh, deemed a, a treatment of God himself. Now, in some essence, that can be said of Scripture if we deny it or if we, in our hearts, hold it in contempt. Yes. But uh, I say that because, uh, as a pastor, I am often given old and uh, torn, uh, what we might call decrepit Bibles, because nobody wants to throw them away in their own home. They often give them to me. And I'll tell you what I do with them when they're given to me. I throw them away. (laughs) I don't need. I've done this about a dozen times in my life as a pastor. And and it just strikes me how people worship a book in that essence. It's not wrong when it's used, worn, torn uh, to replace it. But we understand that scriptures are essential. There's no question around that. They are essential for the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Scripture, of the gospel, sorry, of the gospel. And one of the chief things that we need to behold in our hearts concerning the word of God is that they point us not to ourselves, but they direct us in our mind, in our will, in our affections to God himself. And God expresses within his word the important and essential nature of his word. Hebrews 1.1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And Hebrews 1.1 tells us the importance of Scripture. They are that revelation from Christ to us as God. As we heard in our call, how many of you have seen God face to face and can say that you know him like you would know a person that you have seen face to face? And none of us can say that. But Christ The one who was in the bosom of the Father, he beheld him. And through him we gain that vision, that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding of God himself. And that's why Jesus is affirmed by God himself in his word as the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the one through whom God Spoke to all of creation. He is the word of life. 1 John 1. And when we understand that. And yes I'm getting to our verse here very shortly. But when we understand that essential nature of scripture. 
I'm going to answer that question. Is the Bible the word of men or the word of God? It is the word of God. And even from the very beginning of man's fall into sin, it is the first thing concerning faith that is attacked. Remember those words of Satan to Eve. Did God truly say? That's always, always going to be the world's response to the truth of Holy Scriptures. And the easiest way to throw off and to cast off the authority of God is to say, that's simply the word of men, I don't have to pay attention to it. Oh, really? Our denial of the Scriptures being the word of God does not make them not the word of God. (laughs) The double negative on purpose. Even Jesus himself was tempted concerning the word of God. Remember the temptations that he endured in Matthew 4. And each time Satan came up to him and said, If you are the son of God, here is the son of God come in the flesh and having to Uh, be our Savior, he had to endure in the flesh and in the strength of the Spirit the temptations of Satan, even as Adam and Eve did. And he had to overcome it. But did you ever notice in those first two temptations, he comes and he says, if you are the Son of God, why did he begin there? Because before he was taken into the desert uh, by the Holy Spirit, what did God say? This is my son. (laughs) And you will hear in the temptations that you endure, especially from the wicked one, and even from the world around us, perhaps even in your own heart, you will hear the, the temptations that contradict God's word. Don't worry, the sin isn't going to bring you death. Don't worry. God loves you anyway, so you don't have to fear sin. You get all of those contradictions meeting you because they know that the way, the easiest way to lead you into sin is to break your hold on the Word of God. And perhaps that's why for many of us as Christians, the one thing our souls struggle to desire and struggle to uh, pursue in our lives is that faithful time of reading God's word every day. Isn't that a struggle? And, and, and it's because the, the evil one, the world around, whether uh, directly or indirectly, understand that this is the word of God. And it is the word of God that works effectually in you. Let me read verse 13. And as I read it, I want you to think. Do you welcome this? Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, 
the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Do you welcome that truth? It is the word of God. That's our first thing to grab hold of. It is the word of God. And, and we first have to lay hold of this objective truth. The Bible is the word of God. This was something I was sharing with a few people of late. But did you know what passage of scripture is at the very center of the Bible? If your Bible is faithfully typeset so that the Old and New Testament all have the same size and and uh, you eliminate the concordances and the beginning things, and you just take from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, verse 22, I think it is. You just take those books of the Bible together, and if you were to go to the very, very center of it, where would you open to? Psalm 119. It will always take you to Psalm 119. And what's Psalm 119 all about? The word of God and how effectively and how effectually it is purpose to minister to your heart. Men don't arrange things like this. Not over the course of 1,500 years. But God has. And do you know what is the most common two-word phrase in Psalm 119? 178 verses. What is the, uh, 176 verses, what is the most common two-word phrase? Your word, thy word, your word, your word. 35 times God says, your word. And this is us saying, God, your word. I've hidden it in my heart. God, your word is a lamp to my feet. God, your word revives my soul. What made these Thessalonians such dynamic, sincere, and faithful Christians? Paul makes it clear to us. In, in fact, here he's restating what he's already said in chapter 1. You turn back to chapter 1 and you read verse 5. He says there, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the spirit. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. I think Paul's trying to make a point. What made their faith so Sincere, so dynamic. It's how they regarded the word of God. And here he brings out this thanksgiving. We thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, objective, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. My friends, one of the most significant assurances that you are in Christ that you can have is this work of the Holy Spirit that speaks to your soul. This is the word of God. Because his purpose is to lead you into all truth concerning Christ. And what did Jesus say? Sanctify them by your truth. It was his prayer for all of us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your 
word is truth. And one of the things that the Spirit of God does preeminently, powerfully, and constantly in our hearts as believers is he draws us to the word of God to bring forth its truth and teachings into our hearts so that we can walk with God. The Spirit does not work in a vacuum. That's why I am often very troubled when I hear Christians say something like this, well, the Spirit told me that I needed to do this. Well, how did the Spirit tell you? Well, I just had this feeling and this urge. Especially when they're about to do something that I know contradicts Scripture. Are you sure it's the Spirit? Not the flesh. Not Satan. Because the Spirit will never, and, 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 and grab hold of this, dear people, will never tell you to contradict God's Word. He will never lead you in contradiction to God's word. And if the spirit of God tells you, I just don't need to go to worship this morning. Church just isn't for me. That's not the spirit. (laughs) That's a common thing that I do here. It's not the spirit. And it's also something when your soul wants to Read God's word. Spend time in meditation of it. Devote yourself to the Lord in that thing. And you feel that struggle of time or other things that would occupy that moment when you want to be with the Lord. There's the battle. And understanding and accepting it as the word of God, you must not see it as the word of men. And when Paul makes that statement there, you receive the word, not as the word of men. He is not saying that the Bible wasn't written by men. Of course it was. It was written by men. But God tells us something about these men. First, uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Know this first. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. That, that, I'm just going to take a break. That's a humbling statement. What that's saying to you, dear Christian, is you may interpret Scripture wrong. That's why confessions of faith are so important. Because learned men collectively have come together to bring out the teachings of Scripture. You may interpret it wrong. We may have some things wrong. doesn't mean Scripture is wrong. It doesn't mean what was written is wrong. It means we struggle to understand things. But it isn't a private interpretation. Prophecy never came by the will of men. That's why so many books of the Bible were rejected. If you, not books of the Bible. So many other books that are not in the Bible were rejected. It's not written by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved. By the Holy Spirit. If I could illustrate it. Let me illustrate it. Children. If you can focus here for a moment. Have you ever had those times in your home. Where you have said to one of your siblings. Mom told us not to do that. Or dad said that we had to stay here. And wait till he came back. And you told them. And and they looked at you. And they knew 
that what you were telling them was the truth, but they said, I don't believe you, or simply, I'm going to do it anyways, or I'm going to do what I want to do. You were able to faithfully communicate to the other sibling, to the other brother or sister, what you knew was spoken to you. And sometimes we do it, and we do it because we're tattletales. Nobody likes a tattletale, but the reality is you knew and you were able to communicate truth that was spoken by your mom or dad to another person. That's how we received the word of God from those holy men, the prophets and the apostles that God himself, by his spirit, sent them out to say, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. And it's not enough. As, as he says there, it's not enough to just objectively look and say, this is God's word. This is the word of God. But he goes on to say that, that you welcome it as it is in truth, the word of God. Those two words, receive and welcome. Receive the word of God is an objective rec- recognition that the Bible is God's word, but that That second word, welcome, that's you laying hold of it. Here's my wisdom from God. (laughs) And you are called to welcome the scriptures as the word of God. You, most of you, I'm sure, know 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture has been given by inspiration of God. He's given it. One of the graces of God. One of the gifts that God has given to his people. How important it is to welcome it. Welcome it like you would welcome your grandchildren into your home. Or welcome some beloved friend into your, your, your dining room or living room for coffee. That's that, that understanding. How precious it is to be our hearts. But in order to welcome it, you need the Holy Spirit. Consider the parable of the sower. We all, I think, are familiar that there were four soils that Jesus speaks of that that received the word objectively. (laughs) Objectively, the word of God fell upon these soils, the hard path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And and that parable, what it speaks to us today about, is how each one of you here today are one of those soils. Each one of you. Three of them were soils that receive the word of God as you are receiving it now. But for the hard path, Satan came away and said, I don't believe this. I don't see the point of this. This isn't for me. And immediately it's taken away. Sometimes we can do that, Christians, when we walk out and say something to the effect of, that wasn't a good sermon at all. Be very careful about saying that. Because you might be an instrument in Satan's hand. To steal the word away. But the hard heart can immediately reject the word. 
the rocky soil. Might hear it and say, oh, that was pleasant and good, but then tribulation happens. Hardships of life, like the sun coming out upon the rocky soil and burning the roots so that the plant can't grow. Or some are like the thorny soil where, again, they receive it and say, that, that was really neat. I, I really appreciated what you had to say. And then they go out and the cares of the world, the thorny cares of the world come and say, yeah, well, as much as that was good that day, I really don't have time for this in my life. I really don't see how it's going to benefit me. I've got more important things to take care of than to listen to God's word. There's only one soil that was good. And what made that soil good? Wasn't anything that the soil did for itself. It was everything that the farmer did to make it a soil that would receive the seed so that it could sprout and grow and produce that faith and life in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes our hearts receptive to the word of God. And I say this, not, not to challenge you, but to help you in your thoughts every Lord's Day when you are preparing to come to worship God. One of your prayers ought to be, Holy Spirit, make my mind and my will and my heart receptive to welcome the word of God when it comes. Did you pray that? We have these struggles. I, I know your struggles with these chairs. I know your struggles with time. Do you welcome this as the word of God? And that prayer that we are all to make. God, I can't make my heart ready to receive this word. Give of the spirit. And what does God say in Luke? I think it's Luke 6. He says, he says ask, seek, knock. The Father knows how to give good gifts to His children. And if you ask Him, how much more will He give you the Spirit? He's wanting. And we need the Spirit because as uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 says, no one can know the things of God except the Spirit of God. Do not sit there and think, like the world does, that it can come up with an understanding of who God is. Or don't think like the atheist does. There's no such thing as an atheist. Uh, when they face death, they suddenly realize there is a God that they have rejected. It's not that they don't believe in a God. It's that they have constructed this idea in their mind that there is no God. Or the agnostic, well, I believe there is a God, but there's no way we can know him. Well, of course there's no way. No one can know God except by the Spirit. But dear Christians, you have received the Spirit who is from God that you may know the things freely given to us by God. He has revealed himself to us in his word. The scriptures, my dear friends, the scriptures should be your most cherished friend. Not just something that we do. But something that is life to us. Your faith, your conviction of the gospel. My friends, why do you believe 
Because you heard the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And the spirit made your heart good. So that you could believe. What a grace. And you think about that other friend who has heard and heard. Or some child in our homes who has heard and heard. And have yet to respond or rejected that very word that they heard. Why? They need the Spirit. When you look inwardly to your own heart, do you realize what grace God has afforded you by the Spirit to be able to say, I believe. God, give them your Spirit. You see how this turns us to pray for the Spirit. And the word... Secondly, and very quickly, just the word works effectually, or as it says there, effectively. My friends, I, I believe this, this is something, again, just to encourage you in this. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit in you? Well, we know what some branches of Christ church would say. <laughs> it's got something to do with how you speak. But that is so far from the truth. Even in Paul's day, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, not all are given the gift of tongues. So is that a mark of how you know you have the Holy Spirit? No. I want to emphasize this again. The most significant testimony of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is how you see the Word of God forming and transforming your life. The two are vitally connected, hand in glove. The most significant testimony the Holy Spirit in you is seen by how the Word of God forms and transforms your life. And Paul is saying that we're giving thanks because we can see that you received, you welcomed the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God, not the words of men, because it's effectively worked itself in your life, you who believe. It's changing you. And it has changed you. These Thessalonians turned from pagan idolatry to a gospel of life in Jesus Christ to a life of purity and holiness. And we're going to see it as we come to chapter 4, but Paul says, we can see you love the brethren. Keep on loving them. (laughs) You who hated Christ and hated God, you now love Him and are walking with Him and your life is constantly being changed, transformed as your mind is renewed in the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. That's something about Romans 12, verse 2. Some of you know that verse where it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how many of you think that you're called to renew your mind? Now, I'm not saying... We shouldn't be guarded about what comes into our mind. But you don't renew your mind. The command is not for you to renew your mind. In fact, 
The renewing of your mind is a noun. It's not a verb. It's a noun, pronoun, phrase. The verb there is be transformed. How am I going to be transformed? As my mind passively is renewed, I will be transformed. And that's the promised work of God through His Spirit. God has said it is His Word that He has promised to empower. Many of you know Isaiah 55 Verses 10 and 11, that just as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and makes it bring forth the bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in that which I have sent it. God wants to prosper your life. How is he going to do that? Through his word. Just as the rain and the snow water the seed so that it can grow and give you something to eat, so the word of God, it goes forth in the power of spirit to bring you life. My dear friends, do you know why you have been born again? You have been born again because that incorruptible grace, that seed of God, has been sown in your heart. And through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, you've been born again. It's through the word. Or you go to Psalm 19. And there it speaks about that special revelation in verses 7 to 11. And it speaks there about what the word of God is like in all of its law and testimony and statutes and commandments and fear and judgments. There are seven qualities given to God's word. And these are seven qualities that belong to God himself. Perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true, it's righteous. That describes our Lord Jesus, doesn't it? That's who Jesus is. That's the word of God. It is Christ revealed to us. But then it goes on to say of those seven qualities, that in, and I'll put this in there, in the Spirit's work. That which is perfect is able to convert or restore your soul. Dear Christian, are you one who has probably said often, and maybe you're going through it right now, that I'm not walking with the Lord. And most often, when we get into that state where we're not walking with the Lord, what's the very first thing that we start to do? We stop going to church. I say we start to do We start stopping going to church. Why? Because your fallen heart that wants its desires to be fulfilled, the evil one, Satan himself, no, that's where you're going to go and hear the word that in its perfections might restore your heart. That's why you need church every Lord's Day why you need to be here in worship. It makes this 
It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It brings joy to the heart. When you are in sorrows and hardships and trials and you need to be comforted and you need to receive that consolation from God, it is no small thing for someone to say to you, I was reading this today and I thought of you. Hear God's word. It brings joy to the heart. It enlightens the mind. It endures forever. It satisfies the desires and the appetites of the soul, which is why it's said there, it's more to be desired than gold. It's far more important for you to spend that 15, 20 minutes in God's word than to think, well, I've got to go out and get this done. Sweeter than honey. I was going to go meet up with my friends on this day and yeah, I'm, I know it's Sunday, but I am not going to see them again. As sweet as that fellowship with people may be, what is sweeter? God's word. We do that, don't we? It comes back to this point. Do you receive God's word and welcome it as it is in truth? The word of God. Is it forming and transforming your life? Does your soul desire it more than gold or honey? Do you believe and trust God? These, these are the issues of life. Let's pray.